Welcome to Telford Elim Sunday Podcast. We are so glad you could join us. To keep up to date with all that's going on, please go to telfordelim.com. I do hope you enjoy today's talk. So last Sunday morning, I was looking at worship and intercession and the really important part that intercession plays in worship. Intercession is basically standing in the gap. It's taking the place of another, but standing in that place and praying for them and seeking God on their behalf. And so I used the example of a couple of people, particularly Daniel Nash, who was Charles Finney, the great American revivalist and evangelist. It was his intercessor. He was a prayer warrior who, it says on Nash's tombstone, that he labored with Finney and and was mighty in prayer. But he labored with Finney and he was mighty in prayer. Wouldn't that be an amazing inscription on our tombstone? To labor for Christ, but also to be mighty in prayer. Also, the Moravians under Count Zinzendorf in the Watch of the Lord, for a hundred years they prayed. They sought God's face for a hundred years. They called it the Watch of the Lord. From the 27th of August, 1727, way over a hundred years. There were a small group of about 300 full of all sorts of issues and problems in the first five years that they were together. And then they just started to seek God. And as they started to seek God, God started to change them. And they had this amazing season for about five months of incredible encounter with God. And out of that then came this hundred years. And it was based on Leviticus 6.13. Fire shall be kept burning continually on the altar. It is not to go out. And they felt that that was something God was calling them to. So they, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the weeks of the year, and for a hundred years, just over a hundred years, they prayed continually, seeking God. And as they did so, this small group ended up, in the first 65 years, it sent out 300 missionaries from their group. These were the first missionaries, first Protestant evangelical missionaries to go. So they went to places like Greenland, Iceland, the Caribbean, they went to North America, South America, they went east to India, they went all over the place. And wherever they went, they faced trouble, hardship, strife, death, all sorts of things. But they were burning with this passion to share the good news about Christ. But it all developed out of this 100 years of prayer. They were continually praying. It was Moravians who were on the ship that John Wesley was on. And as they were coming, the storm was going around and Wesley was fearful for his life. And the Moravians were in complete calm and thrust. And he wondered at it and it had a huge impact upon him, which ultimately led him to coming to Christ. I wonder, is that the sort of life of prayer that we lead? And I just used Isaiah 62 as, an, as the basis. O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all you who pray to the Lord. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work, until he makes Jerusalem, the church, the pride of the earth. But this idea of praying night and day, continually, taking no rest, giving the Lord no rest until he completes his work. Prayer is vital to the economy of God. Without prayer, things don't change and things don't move. Praying and seeking God's face is absolutely fundamental to that. Okay, so that was last week. So this week I want to look at worship and transformation. 
So worship and its place in transformation. I want to use Hebrews 4 verses 14 to 16 as the basis for that. In the, in the run-up to this chapter, which I'm going to look at, just before this in verse 12, the writer speaks of the power of God's living word to open up our inner world. He talks about it's a searchlight of God's truth. It comes, it, it opens up our innermost thoughts and desires. In verse 13, we are accountable to him. And he points to Jesus. From the very beginning of the epistle, he's pointing to Jesus. He has been pointing his readers to the Lord Jesus. So just as an example, in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these last final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, in the majestic place of heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. In chapter 2, verse 9, he also says about Jesus and about how he is. What do we see is Jesus for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. He's bringing Jesus to the very fore in this epistle. In chapter 3, verse 3. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. In verse 9, he likewise, at verse 6, sorry, he also picks it up and he says, But Christ as the Son is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. So Jesus is at the very heart of this epistle. He's bringing everyone to the fact that Jesus is supreme. And that's the Jesus he's presenting. <coughs> Maybe Isaac, you bring the microphone down a little bit, please. But then he comes to this passage here in chapter, chapter 4. So let me read verses 14 to 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, then we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help as when we need it most. I mean, though God would bless the, the reading of his word to our hearts. So here's this passage about Jesus. And he talks about him as a great high priest, this amazing high priest. He talks about a throne of grace. Let's come, thronely, let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. I love 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1 where it says this, As God's partners, we then plead with you not to accept the grace of God and then ignore it. So as God's partners, we then plead with you not to accept the grace of God and then ignore it. The grace of God is so fundamental to our success as Christians. 
It is absolutely fundamental. Without grace, we don't do what we can do. We need to do what God calls us to do. But I love that. It says we are God's partners. How amazing. But he also says we then plead with you. The heroes of faith are pleading with us. What? That we would not ignore God's grace. I wonder, are we ignoring God's grace? Perhaps we need to think about that and just reflect upon that. This grace that he pours out to us. So what is the purpose of worship? Well, worship is an encounter with God himself. It's a, it changes us as a result. It's about encounter and transformation. You can't worship without changing. You can't worship without encountering God. It starts to change us. You know, uh, Thanksgiving opens the doors to God's presence. It's about invitation and breakthrough. Give thanks in every circumstance. Praise then positions us in the sacred place. And it's about preparation and position. It's preparing us for something more. But the ultimate is worship. Thanksgiving, praise, and then worship. That is the ultimate. Worship is about adoration. It's kneeling in homage to Christ. We confess our faith in our worship. It's about our priestly service. It's about laying our lives down as living sacrifices. It's about giving our best and what is precious to us, to God, for the love and benefit of others. That's worship. It's giving everything. It's laying it down. It's taking it to him and saying, here I am. Here's the best of me. Not the tired part of me or the impoverished part of me, but the best part of me. And you can only be the best part of you whenever you're drawing the grace and living in the grace of God. We're designed to live under the influence and the authority of the grace of God. His grace at work in our life makes us better people. Grace isn't automatic. You have to draw it, draw upon it. You have to ask God for his grace. And that's why he says, let's come boldly to our gracious God, to the throne of grace. Let us come boldly. Come. Worship positions us there. It takes us into that place. As we encounter him, then we start to change. So he started with, therefore, we have a great high priest in heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. So in, he is this great high priest. The high priests had the privilege of coming into the very sacred presence of God once a year, into the Holy of Holies, but only once a year. But Jesus is a perpetual high priest. He lives in the presence of God. So he's so much greater than those high priests that lived on this earth. They could go once a year for just a very short period of time into that sacred space. But he dwells in that sacred space. He lives there. The reason why, because they were sinners. They, it goes on to elaborate that, and he picks that up and then explores that over the next few chapters. But they had personal sin. Whereas this Jesus that we worship had no sin. He was sinless. It's interesting that he talks about, so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus son is the son of God. He's made a pathway to the throne room. He has entered there. He's gone. He's gone before us. There was no pathway for us to get to the throne room of God. As Gentiles, as people outside the covenants of Israel, we had no pathway. Jesus made a path when he went back to heaven, when he went back to the Father's throne. Jesus was the first to walk it. And we have the privilege to walk it with him back to the Father's throne. 
worship draws us along the pathway of worship that Jesus made. He is the one who made it, and he draws us. So whenever we worship, it's like we're stepping onto a journey, and we start to move through the worship towards that place. It's really interesting. Um, we changed the seating round. That's the problem. Ben and I were supposed to be in a, a retreat on Thursday and part of Friday. We were going through Birmingham, got a phone call to say that it was flooding, it was, so we couldn't go. So we come back, and yeah, it's dangerous to give us a bit of space when nobody knows us we're around. So we were just really interested to see how people would cope with this. Because the word we were thinking about was the word intimate, a bit more intimate. Instead of separated, it's really interesting. I was saying to Claretta that it's the first time I've ever seen her in this side of the church. Did she know what this side of the church was like when earlier on? But it's a different pathway. You have to make a new pathway because you're used to walking in and then walk up the center or up along. The, but now there's a new pathway. It's different. Whenever Jesus went to heaven, he created a pathway that nobody ever had walked before. Yes, the Old Testament saints had access to God, but it was always through the mediator of a priest or a prophet. We don't need a priest or a prophet because Jesus is our priest and our prophet. And we can come along his pathway straight into that place. So it must have been very disorientating for those first Jews, Peter and all those guys, because he created this new pathway of direct access to Father. And they were used to always doing through synagogue and through other ways. And he's saying, you can come directly to him. That, is, that would, must have been earth-shattering to them. But he offered them this new pathway of worship to Father, because he was a worshiper in spirit and truth. But it also inspires us to hold firmly to the foundation stones of our faith. He says, let us hold firmly to what we believe. So this idea of holding firmly to it. As we worship, it gives us strength to hold on. Worship encourages us to keep pressing on and keep working and keep moving on and believing what we have been taught through the Word of God. Because he says the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword just before this. But it inspires us to believe in Jesus. But the risen, exalted, ascended, and glorified Jesus... Because that's the one that we believe in. Worship takes us to that place. In verse 15, he understands our frailties. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So he understands our weaknesses, our frailties. How we can be tripped up. Some of you older people... And there's not many. Some of you older people will remember the 1984 Olympics. And there was a South African runner called Zola Budd and an American runner called Mary Decker. And these were great rivals, and there was a lot of stuff about it. <coughs> and whenever they were running the race, they were running close, and she always, Zola Budd always run in bare feet. And they were running very close. They were the favorites for the race to win the Olympic title. And... Mary Decker, whatever happened, uh, Mary Decker got tripped up and fell into the infield. She never got up, and so the blood, the blood was running down the back of her leg, and instead of winning the Olympic gold, she didn't win it. The tears started to flow because of all that had happened. 
Both of them lost their dream. But Zola finished the race. Uh, Mary Dacker didn't finish the race. Many years before, there was a guy called Eric Little. And Eric Little was quite a remarkable Scotsman. And in the film Chariots of Fire, he's in a race and he gets tripped up. And in the race, he ends up on the ground and all the runners are running away. And he has a choice. And the choice is either to remain there or else to get up and start to run after him. And he gets up and he starts to run after them. And he eventually wins the race. It actually really happened. He wins this race. But he got tripped, he failed, he got up. Mary Decker failed, tripped, and for the rest of her life she's lived in bitterness about that trip. I wonder about us, whenever we get tripped up by our human frailty, do we lie there looking at everyone else moving off into the distance, or do we get up and start to pursue God's call and God's purpose for our lives? That's a challenge to us. Do we get up and start to pursue? Jesus inspires us to get up and to go. But you know the most difficult temptation we ever face? It's not a new temptation. It's the place where you've sinned before. Because every time you sin, the next time the temptation comes back, and you give ground in that area, the next time you come back, that temptation is stronger than before. Jesus never did that because he never sinned. He never tripped up. It wasn't, didn't mean he wasn't in a race and there wasn't a chance to get tripped up, but he never got tripped up. We get tripped up. We've sinned. But the next time, whenever you do something, whenever you yield to a temptation, the next time it always comes back stronger. And that's why per perpetual habitual sin is so hard to break. Because every time the temptation gets stronger, and it's harder to break through it. And that's why it takes persistent resistance to eventually break it. But he never faced that because he never sinned. So he doesn't mean that he faced every single temptation we have. But nevertheless, he was in the race. He knows what it's like to get jostled by the enemy. After all, Satan appeared to him in person in the 40 days of temptation, and those temptation appeared of temptation. Again and again, he found and experienced opposition that we will never experience. But he understands our human frailties and weaknesses, how we can be tripped up. Isn't he wonderful? It says in verse 16 that we're to come boldly and worship to his throne. His throne can never be toppled. He has all authority and power. He is our gracious God. So he come. And it tells us to come there. Why? To receive mercy and to find grace to help as when we need it most in our time of need. So we find mercy. Now, Father knows that when we come to him, we're still human, we're frail, and there's all sorts of issues going on in our lives. But we come in the righteousness of Jesus when we come to that throne. He looks at Jesus. But we still come with our human frailties. And so we need a lot of mercy to come. How many of us are prevented to worship, are prevented in our worship because we think of all the things that we are doing wrong or the issues that are at work in our lives. Little realizing that actually worship is a step way to, a step path, a pathway to freedom, to take us to that place of freedom. And yet because of our frailty, we stop worshiping. But yet worship is what we need. Because it's a, 
It's mercy. We find mercy. It's what we obtain. We find mercy. But we also, through the place of worship and prayer, we also find his wonderful grace. We need it more than anything else in our lives. God loves it when we're engaged in worship, when we come boldly to his throne of grace. God desires to involve us in his mission through the church to the world. But he always challenges us through encounters. Worship is a challenging experience. And worship, as I say every week, is more than just singing. Worship is an attitude of life. It's a way of life. It's following the pathway of Christ each and every day. God challenges us through those encounters because the encounters open the door to the atmosphere and state of heaven. And whenever we come into the state of heaven, into the atmosphere of heaven, then everything that's polluting in our lives is brought into stark relief as a result. It is in these challenges and encounters that we are transformed from spectators to participants in God's work, from being self-focused to Christ-focused, from compassionless about our Christian walk to passionate to the best possible partners with God we can be. All of these things start to happen as we worship. Do you get it? If you want to be different, if you want to follow Jesus, then worship. Worship is at the heart of that. Yes, that includes singing, but it's so much more than singing. It's a way of life. It's following the pathway. Prayer is worship. Intercession is worship. These are parts of worship, but it transforms us. Who wants to be different this time next year than they are today? Yeah, I want to be different this time next year than I am today. But sanctification, that transformation process, only occurs as we become three worshippers, worshipping the Father in spirit and truth. Okay. Any thoughts? Would anybody like to comment or like to say anything about that? Hmm. So basically what you're saying is that because of the frailties of human flesh, yeah. And our experiences every day and what we go through, it's really difficult to step into that plane of worship in spirit and truth. And to appreciate God as a, as a spirit being because we're so stuck in, a, in the flesh and in the world. So what is the answer to that then? I'll pick up Psalms first and then I'll come back to that, uh, that statement. Psalm says get more engaged with the spirit. It's interesting, every morning I pray, Lord, fill me full of your spirit today. I pray for the anointing of heaven to be the best possible and then I think of everything I have to do that day and everything I need to be. So the best possible Christian, first uh, pastor, church leader, husband, father, grandfather, son, brother, uncle, all the things that I have to be. But I pray to be filled with the Spirit to be the best possible person I can be that day. And I guess that's it's the overflow of the Spirit because that's, the, that's where the, the rub happens. Because if, we, if we're always working in our own strength and power, well, there's a, such a limit to it. But if you are being filled with the Spirit, then he, start, he does that which we cannot do. And that's where this, we step up from where we are into that realm of spirit and truth. Because he inspires, he worships, he inspires our worship. Let go and let God. 
Yeah. The letting go and letting God is, can be quite often a cop out. It can be for some, because they just say, well, it's, you're, you're putting it in a different context. But for most people, it just means I'll just sit back and let God do it. Gordon MacDonald says this the freest person in the world is, is one with an open heart, a broken spirit, and a new direction in which to travel. So the freest person in the world is one with an open heart, which you just said, a broken spirit, and a new direction in which to travel. And so for us, the open heart, open ourselves up, that's the hardest thing, it's opening yourself up to the full glare of God's spotlight, but also the broken spirit. When we open ourselves up, so often it breaks us because we realize just how far short of his glory we are. But then it also gives us a new direction to travel in, the pathway of worship which takes us to the throne of grace. I just I happened to write, read that last night, and I wrote it down just to have it. To live a spirit-filled life, that is the... the People come in and, like, my friend, for instance, a Jehovah's Witness, and she's like, yeah, but, you know, it says this, but it actually means this, and you're not reading it right, and, you know. And then you're like, well... You know, I know where I want to be, but then my path sort of goes all wiggly, and I'm like trying to trying to stay straight when people are trying to say to me, "Oh no, but you've got to do it like this, and you've got to do it like that." Um. Again, it's been recorded, so let's go simple. Um. Yeah, it's really challenging in this area because you want to serve Jesus with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your soul, with everything, and then you have people saying this, this, and this, and that. That makes it really difficult. I think that's why the Bible is absolutely... You reading the Bible yourself and asking the Holy Spirit to open the Bible up to you really does make a difference. And I know that it's really helpful to have people around you who actually are journeying with you. People of like mind and light heart. Like mind and like heart. And as for Jehovah's Witness teaching, uh, I have a lot of problems with it because it binds you into a religious dogma that is actually antichrist in nature because they deny Jesus as the Bible presents him. And the New World Translation is a spurious translation of the Bible. There's a lot of good stuff, but the problem is in it that the bits that are wrong are really, really wrong. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a really challenge. Joe Witness, Mormon, Christadelphians, Christian Science, there's a lot of erroneous teaching out there that we have to be careful with. Yeah. And the problem is, if you get into a, an argument with her, she's versed in certain lines. It's almost like you need to bypass her argument and actually start to bring in the grace of God and rely on that grace of God. But there is a lot of good stuff out there that can actually break through that. Now, if you want help, I know that there are several people in the church who could really help you with that. Yeah. I think sometimes we think like a message is a short. You started it. I think it's just like a... <laughs> Sometimes it becomes like an advertisement that shows in the television that, oh, buy this product and it's good, but when you buy it, it's just junk. So so are some of these cults, like what you said, Jehovah's Witnesses are also. Yeah, well, they, they promise the world, but they can't deliver it. So, Sonny, uh, Christ can deliver. Christ, Christ is very attractive, um, and I think all of the world religions recognize him, but they will just hesitate in crossing the line in who he really is and he is the only means to the father 
and it is only through him that, that we can be saved. I said a few weeks ago that uh, when we come to him, there's three parts to it. The first is you, you come and you recognize his lordship, his right to be savior and lord. And that's a, you get down to the place of humility at that point. And then the next part is this kingly authority. I mean, that's where you recognize he has the all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And then he starts to send you out. But the third part of it is that then it's a walk, it's discipleship, it's walking with him. And all those other religions deny the lordship and the kingly authority because those are unique. He doesn't share his lordship with any other guru or anybody else. He doesn't share his kingship with anyone else. He is supreme as lord and king. And th that is a big challenge. Yeah. Okay. These are the bits that we hope that you pick up. Um, just a few, a few ideas, a few thoughts. Don't always do it, but whenever we do it, we try to do it in such a way to try and take it a little bit further. Because the whole idea is to try and get you to apply this stuff. It's not enough just to hear it and gain knowledge. It's applying it to your life. It's the application that changes your life. And maybe this week, God's calling you to create a new pathway of worship, whereby when you're driving the car, whenever you're walking around, you have a few songs on the playlist, and you actually listen to it, and you start to worship. And prayers worship, givings worship, everything, the whole part of our life. But be spirit-filled. Ask God every single day, at the beginning of the day, Lord, fill me with your spirit today. And I always pray for divine appointments also. Because I'm willing to be used. Some people say that the word used is not a nice word, that God uses you. Because they atone it, or link it into used and abused. But God doesn't abuse. But he's certainly willing to empower and inspire us and to take us. It's always a partnership. We are God's partners, 2 Corinthians 6.1. So we're in chance for a response. Um, anybody like to come forward for prayer, please do. The worship team are going to come, and we're going to sing, and then we're going to come into communion after that. Thank you for listening to Telford Elim's Sunday podcast. To keep up to date, go to telfordelim.com or find us on social media.